Hi, I'm Chris Green, the History Chap, telling stories that bring history to life. In 1898, future British Prime Minister Winston Churchill took part in one of the last great regimental cavalry charges by the British Army at the Battle of Omdurman in Sudan. Churchill was serving with the 21st Lancers when they were ordered to harass the retreating Mardist army. They came under fire from some riflemen and charged. Little did they know, they were riding into an ambush. Because behind those riflemen, hidden from view in a gully, were over 2,000 heavily armed Mardist warriors. Galloping across the stony plain, the British cavalry rode straight into them and into a near disaster. In two frantic minutes of fighting, nearly a fifth of the men with Churchill were killed or wounded, as were a third of their horses. Three Victoria Crosses were earned for acts of bravery as soldiers desperately went to the aid of their unseated comrades. This is the story of Winston Churchill's cavalry charge with the 21st Lancers at the Battle of Omdurman. In 1896, General Herbert Kitchener had been authorised to invade Sudan with a joint Egyptian and British army. If you want to know the reasons for the invasion, check out episode 86, all about Kitchener's Desert Railway, and also episode 47, which explains why the British had ever got involved in Sudan in the first place. Kitchener's invasion was THE military action happening in the British Empire at this time, and as such, it attracted the great and the good who wanted to be part of the action. Many officers tried to get secondments to the regiments heading to Sudan, or appointments in the Egyptian army heading up the Nile, not least the Egyptian cavalry and the Camel Corps. One such glamour seeker was Queen Victoria's own grandson. Another young glory seeker was 23-year-old Winston Churchill. Churchill had been commissioned in the 4th Queen's Own Hussars in 1895. Desperate to see action, but with none available at that particular moment, he got his mother to pull strings and took leave from the army to cover the independence war between the Spanish and rebels in Cuba as a journalist. The following year, he and his regiment were posted to Bangalore in India, where he managed to get himself on the Malakand Field Force, fighting on the northwest frontier. He proceeded to write a book, while still a serving officer, about his experiences in that campaign, and proceeded to point out some of the mistakes that, in his opinion, his commanding officer had made. Hardly surprising, Kitchener saw the young Churchill as the ultimate glory seeker, and as someone who couldn't be trusted not to write an account of the war and keep his opinions to himself. Kitchener flatly refused to appoint him to any position in his army. Eventually, Whitehall intervened, mainly because his mother was weaving her magic again, and informed Kitchener that whilst he was the overall commander, he was actually the commander, or Sirdar, of the Egyptian army. Thus, if Whitehall found Churchill a vacancy in the British army, Kitchener couldn't overrule it. And of course, they found him a vacancy in the 21st Lancers. The 21st Lancers had been formed in 1858 in India during the Indian Mutiny or Rebellion as the 3rd Bengal European Cavalry. After that conflict, the regiment was transferred to the regular British Army and given the title of the 21st Hussar Regiment. In 1897, they were renamed the 21st Lancers. Ever since their formation, they had spent most of their time in India and unlike most of their illustrious rivals in the British Army, had never participated in a full-blown cavalry charge. Many of those other cavalry regiments joked that the 21st motto should be Thou shalt not kill. These sniggers rankled the men of the 21st, who were desperate to participate in a proper cavalry charge. In the Sudan campaign, the 21st Lancers were commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Roland Hill Martin. Born in Hampshire, Martin was nearing his 50th birthday and had joined the army back in 1869, and had been in command of the 21st Lancers since 1892. 
His regiment consisted of in the region of 400 men, broken into four squadrons. Each squadron consisted of four troops, each comprising somewhere between 20 and 25 men. They were the only British cavalry unit to accompany Kitchener in this campaign. When he arrived to join them in Cairo, Churchill found that some of his fellow officers, rather like Kitchener, were also suspicious of the outsider. Probably not helped by the fact that, once more, whilst as a serving officer, he was augmenting his income as a war correspondent for the Morning Post. The long journey down the Nile, first by boat and then using Kitchener's railway, was hot and boring. Finally, towards the end of August 1898, the 21st Lancers joined Kitchener's army advancing up the Nile towards the Mardist capital at Omdurman. On the 1st of September, Churchill's cavalry regiment were scouting ahead of the main column when they saw the Mardist army advancing towards them. Tens of thousands of them. Estimates vary between 25 and 50,000. Colonel Martin sent a message back to Kitchener. The man he chose to take that message was Churchill. Whether the commander recognised the man he'd tried to stop joining his army, he never did say. But having delivered his message, Churchill saluted smartly and rode back to the Lancers. On the following day, 2nd of September 1898, the two armies met at the Battle of Omdurman. As it warrants an episode in its own right, I won't go into details here. Suffice to say that the Mardist army attacked Kitchener's force on the banks of the Nile in overwhelming numbers, but were beaten off with sustained rifle, artillery and machine gun fire. With the Mardist army seemingly in retreat, Kitchener was keen for them not to fall back on Omdurman and force his troops into savage house-to-house -house fighting. He decided to march on the capital immediately. In preparation for that advance, he ordered the 21st Lancers to move beyond the Jubal Sukar mountain onto the plain beyond to ascertain what was going on. It was now 7.30am, less than an hour since Kitchener had first engaged the Mardist army. As they crested the eastern end of the mountain, the 21st Lancers could see thousands of Mardist troops retreating on their right across the plain towards Omdurman. Lieutenant Piri, who had been sent forward to scout, hastily rode back to report there was a force of somewhere between 700 and 1,000 dervish warriors in a corps, or dried up gully, in front of them on the plain. Not that they realised at the time, but this Mardist force was led by legendary general Osman Digna. And the men that Piri had spotted were from Digna's fearsome Beja tribe, nicknamed by the British Fuzzy Wuzzies on account of their hairstyle. After about an hour, Colonel Martin received an order from Kitchener to harass the enemy and prevent them attacking his flank as he marched towards the Mardis capital. Martin moved his whole regiment down onto the plain and at about 0837 rode in an extended line parallel with Osman Digna's position on the corps. Martin's intention was to move to the very end of the corps before turning on his enemy. However, as they trotted across the plain, Mardis warriors appeared on the edge of the gully and started shooting at them. Whilst the majority of the Mardist army were armed with traditional weapons, spears up to 10 feet in length and double-handed swords, many did possess reasonably modern rifles. These Remington rifles had been captured from the Egyptians during the Mardi's revolt just over 10 years previously. And the Sudanese warriors who possessed them were pretty good shots, as the 21st Lancers were finding out. Bullets thwacked into their horses and both animals and men were going down. Incensed, one of his officers, Lieutenant Raymond Montmorency, urged the commanding officer to charge. Montmorency had been born in 1867 in Montreal, Canada. His father was in the military, and so it came as no surprise when Raymond followed in his footsteps, being commissioned in the Lincolnshire Regiment in 1887. Two years later, he transferred to the 21st Lancers. 
Just before 8.45am, Colonel Martin ordered Sergeant Trumpeter Knight to sound right wheel into line. The whole regiment, all 16 troops, turned to face the enemy in a long extended line. This was the moment the men of the 21st Lancers had been waiting for. Thou shalt not kill indeed. With just 250 yards between themselves and the Mardist infantry, they didn't need an order. They charged. Their Syrian mounts raced across the red ground, and as they closed, they lowered their lances into the engaged infantry position. Most of the officers drew their sabres, although Captain Paul Kenner, commanding B Squadron, chose to carry a lance like the rest of his men. 36-year-old Kenner was one of those many Liverpudlians with Irish roots. He'd been in the army since 1886, always in the 21st Lancers. Meanwhile, commanding A Troop on the far right of the extended line was Winston Churchill. Churchill was suffering from an old shoulder injury, and so as he galloped, he resheathed his sabre and drew out a Mauser pistol which he'd purchased in London. No mean feat when you're galloping. As they closed to within about 50 yards of the Mardis, the 21st Lancers received the shock of their lives. The corps was a lot deeper and wider than they had anticipated, and it contained not hundreds, but thousands of Sudanese warriors. Unbeknown to the British cavalry, whilst they'd been descending onto the plain, the wily Osman Digna had reinforced it with over 2,000 Bagara spearmen. The 21st Lancers were riding into a carefully laid ambush, and it was too late to stop. Montmorency later recalled the faces of those warriors grinning hate, defiance and satisfaction as the British came into their trap. Churchill described the next few moments as almost like being in slow motion and completely silent. Obviously it was neither, but it was an interesting first-hand experience of this battle. Travelling at 20 miles an hour, the lancers crashed into the waiting enemy. Corporal Ricks thrust his lance into a warrior's left eye with such force that the lance snapped. His was not the only lance to snap on impact, and Ricks, like many other troopers, was forced to grab his sabre to defend himself. The Mardis warriors knelt behind the British horses and tried to hamstring them with their swords. And once a horse went down, they descended on the stricken rider, hacking them time and time again. Other warriors didn't even wait to hamstring the horse. They simply tried to pull the riders down. Colonel Martin's horse stumbled as it landed in the core and fell on its head, but before the Mardis could leap upon them, both horse and rider managed to upright and continue to ride through the throng. His second-in-command, Major Kroll Wyndham, was thrown from his mount. Dazed, he now faced the enemy with a sabre in one hand and a Mauser pistol in the other, but he was completely outnumbered. Just when he was about to be overwhelmed, Liverpudlian Captain Kenner rode past him and bodily lifted him to safety. For this act, Kenner was awarded the Victoria Cross. He was one of three men to receive VCs for their bravery in this charge. Another recipient was Private Thomas Byrne. He rode to the rescue of another unseated Lancer, Lieutenant Richard Molyneux. Molyneux, like Churchill, was on secondment to the Lancers in this war, in his case from the Royal Horse Guards. With his arm almost severed from a Mardist sword blow, he weakly flayed at the enemy surrounding him. It was now that Private Byrne, despite being wounded himself, came to his rescue. He broke through the surrounding throng and used the back of his horse to barge four attackers aside. As he hauled Molyneux up into his saddle, Byrne was spiked in the ribs by a spear, but he managed to ride clear with the wounded officer. Meanwhile, Winston Churchill was also in the thick of the action. He saw a Mardis warrior duck down behind him and raise his sword to hamstring his horse's hind legs. Twisting in his saddle, Churchill fired two shots at him from three yards. Trying to keep his momentum and ride through the corps, he was confronted by a blue-robed bearded warrior wielding a two-handed sword. Once more, Churchill fired a shot straight at the warrior as he rode past. 
As he rode up the far side of the gully, he suddenly became aware that he seemed to be the only British soldier to have got through. Was he the sole survivor? As he gazed around, he thankfully became aware that others had got through, including Colonel Martin. As they started to gather together, a Mardis warrior seemed to spring up from the earth amongst them. He dodged around the men of the 21st as they tried to stab him with their lances. Raising his spear, he charged at Churchill. It's one of those what-if moments in history. Actually, Churchill had several of those. But here at Omdurman, he raised his Mauser and shot his assailant at less than a yard. The warrior fell dead on the sand. Churchill's troop at the far end of the charge had entered the corps where Osman Digna had placed fewer warriors. To his left, D Squadron had charged into the deepest concentration of Mardists, something like 10 or 12 deep. Sergeant Freeman from D Squadron managed to get through, but only having suffered a cut across his face which sheared off his nose, gouged his cheek and nearly severed his lip. Alongside him, the youngest officer in the regiment, Lieutenant Nesham, was surrounded by warriors who slashed at him and tried to pull him from his horse. In shock as he was cut across his wrist, his leg and his shoulder, he struck his spurs violently into his horse, which reared up and galloped out of the corps. It was a near miss. More and more men of the 21st Lancers were now gathering on the far side of the corps, where Churchill now was. The desperate fight between the Lancers and the Sudanese Mardists had lasted just two minutes. That is less time than I have described the story since Churchill was unholstering his Mauser as he charged towards the corps. And I've only told a few brief stories. Nearly 400 men from the 21st Lancers each had their own stories, horrors and experiences from those two minutes. No wonder Churchill recalled time running in slow motion and a battle almost in silence. In that brief time, they'd lost 21 men dead and 50 wounded. 119, or nearly a third of their horses, were also killed or injured. Lieutenant Raymond Montmorency turned his horse and charged back down into the corps to rescue Lieutenant Grenfell. He drove off the warriors attacking the stricken officer, but Grenfell, who'd received 11 wounds to his head alone, was already dead. Keeping the Mardis at bay, Montmorency put the dead officer over his saddle and galloped out to where the 21st were now providing covering fire. He was the third man to be awarded a Victoria Cross from this action. Despite the harrowing experience, many of the Lancers were keen to charge again. Colonel Martin, however, trotted what remained of his regiment to the far end of the corps and unleashed an enfilade fire on the Sudanese below. The Sudanese fled across the plain to join their compatriots heading towards Omdurman. Amongst them, as ever, was Osman Digna, the great survivor. Meanwhile, Kitchener's advance nearly ended in catastrophe. Desperate to enter Omdurman, Kitchener had started his march before the whole Mardist army had been defeated. A second wave attacked him en route, and it was only the actions of Hector MacDonald, turning his Egyptian and Sudanese infantry one way and then the other, that prevented the Mardist Green Flag Army breaking through. Nevertheless, by midday the battle was over. The Mardists had lost 25,000 dead and wounded. Kitchener's army had sustained just over 400 casualties. It was, as John Ellis wrote in The Social History of the Machine Gun, not a battle, but an execution. Kitchener's victory at Omdurman resulted in Sudan becoming a de facto part of the British Empire until the 1950s. The charge of the 21st Lancers became one of the most talked about and portrayed events from the battle. Paintings show the charge of the 21st at Omdurman as chaotic, frightening and heroic, and it was all those things. But it does leave a question. Was it worth it? Something like a fifth of Kitchener's entire casualties came from that two minutes of fighting in the coal. 
On the other hand, Colonel Martin had been ordered to secure the coal and secure Kitchener's flank in his advance on Omdurman, and the 21st Lancers did just that. Many claim it to be the last regimental cavalry charge in the British Army. However, the 20th Hussars also laid claim to that distinction with their charge against the Turkish nationalists at the Battle of Gebze in 1920. Prior to this battle, the 21st Lancers had been ridiculed with the nickname motto, Thou shalt not kill. On the 2nd of September 1898 at Omdurman, they'd silence those detractors. In 1922, they were amalgamated with the 17th Lancers to form an armoured unit, and in a further merger in 1993, became part of the Queen's Royal Lancers. And what happened to the survivors of that wild charge at Omdurman? Well, we all know what happened to Winston Churchill later in his life. Following the Battle of Omdurman, he did indeed write a book about the campaign, just as Kitchener had suspected he would. And in that book, The River War, the serving officer penned his thoughts on Kitchener's tactics and policies, not least towards injured Mardis after Omdurman, just like Kitchener had also suspected. As the 21st Lancers sailed down the Nile towards Egypt and from there back to Britain, the injured Lieutenant Molyneux needed a skin graft for his injured wrist. What most people don't know is that skin graft was obtained from a fellow officer. Yep, Winston Churchill. Molyneux recovered enough to rejoin the army in 1914 and served during the First World War as a major. He was to survive the horrors of that war and died in 1954. Lieutenant Raymond de Montmorency VC remained in the army. The following year, he was killed at the Battle of Stormberg during the Boer War in South Africa. Captain Paul Kenner, the Victoria Cross recipient from Liverpool, would also go on to fight in the Boer War and also in the 1903 campaign in British Somaliland against the so-called Mad Mullah. He represented Great Britain in the eventing team in the 1912 Olympics. During the First World War, Brigadier General Kenner, VC, was killed in action at Gallipoli. Irishman Thomas Byrne, the man who had been awarded the Victoria Cross for rescuing Lieutenant Richard Molyneux, ended his days in Canterbury, Kent. He died in 1944 and his funeral was attended by one of the last surviving members of the charge of the 21st Lancers at Omdurman, the Prime Minister, Winston Churchill. Coming soon, a story from the Second World War about the real events behind the film The Cockleshell Heroes. If you want to go deeper and learn more about lesser-known military conflicts and personalities from British history, then join my membership club. You'll get access to live chats, Q&As and weekly newsletter and exclusive episodes such as the one about the only man to be awarded the Victoria Cross and the German Iron Cross and the general who tried to avert the Boer War. Click on the link in the description to find out more. I'm Chris Green, the History Chap. Thanks for joining me today. Keep well, and I'll speak to you again very soon.